You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known, raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Hey, welcome to the underground. This is our uh, post-Thanksgiving episode. Guys, how was your Thanksgiving? Tell you what, it was awesome. I <laughs> ate way too much, way, way, way too much. Yeah, yeah, you had some pasta too. I did. That was the second. That was round number two. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Does this pasta thing work? I'm curious because you say you have it first, but is there a specific kind of pasta? Is it a manicotti, a pina? No, pasta is different every night, most of the time. And you have it first, and then you have a meal. Like you have a giant bowl of pasta, and then you'll have, and I'm not talking about just for Thanksgiving. I'm talking about every meal. Like you might have a steak and some vegetables or, or whatever. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, I'm surprised I don't weigh 600 pounds. <laughs> so is this like sauce that your mother is like stewing over for oh, hours I, upon hours upon hours? I scored two jars. <laughs> I saw that. It's like contraband. Now, the problem is my nephew's in college, so she sends him with like two or three jars. My daughter's in college, so she gets a jar. I mean, I used to could get whatever, and now I'm being rationed to two jars. Mm. So yeah, now that's I gotta right. throw Nate in. Well, but Mom, Nate likes the pasta, so <laughs> you know he needs some sauce. And then my brother, and I mean, it goes on and on. So, are you very skilled at cooking the pasta? Yeah. Do you get it just right? I get. Oh man, because I you can it. overdo it. You can overdo it, and you can underdo it. I yeah. don't know what happened the other night. You could take a bite. You could take no, no. This wasn't at Mom and Dad's. This was at our house. You could take Careful. a bite and like you would get three noodles that were not cooked and the rest were cooked. <laughs> so I have no idea how that happens. I've never, ever, ever seen that happen before. Yeah. But Amy did cook it, not me. So wait, so this yeah. pasta is this the pasta itself is handmade too. I mean, we aren't talking gringo pasta out of a box, are we? No, out of the box. Mom used to hand make the pasta. And it was okay. always Oh man, if you got one of those little knots that didn't get rolled out, yeah. oh, it was awesome. I've actually had your mother's pasta. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. she don't she hadn't done that in a long time because her yeah. hands are you got the arthritis, she can't. Yeah, she used to give me a little care package with pasta. Freaking brownie. That'd make Sounds my like Vince day. is the only one without the care package. <laughs> I Vince was probably anymore. hungry that week that he got the care package. Yeah, please. Probably. It was just the leftovers. I'm here to tell you, there are no leftovers when it comes to me. Yeah. So, Joe, did you eat a bunch of turkey? No, no, we don't eat yes, turkey. We do, we do not eat turkey, Vince. Good for we you. We discussed this. So we had a prime rib, and, you know, prime rib, unless you pull it out like six weeks in advance, won't thaw out in the middle, which is fine because then we finally get it thawed out, and then we make steaks out of it. But we had short ribs instead. We had a house full of sick people, so we stayed home, which – is more than a good alibi. It's a good opportunity <laughs> to just sit there with family too. And so that was cool. And everybody's well now. And we had those, like I said, them short ribs, they were outstanding. I'm a big fan of short ribs. Vince, you eat short ribs? I eat short ribs, long ribs, <laughs> ribs in general. Just not on Thanksgiving. You want to eat and, them. And frozen rib. white bird. Prime rib. <laughs> hey, it's one freaking day. Yeah. It's fine. I like you took offense. I ate my a tiny little slice of turkey, just to humor Shauna. But I had some ham, so I was happy. Some ham and, and some dressing. I had some pecan pie. Pecan. There is nothing finer than pecan pie. Pecan pie. I don't think I've ever had pecan pie before. It's not pecan pie. It's pecan. It's pecan well, I don't even pie. know if we have those trees out here. I don't know. It's pecan pie. <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm all about dessert on Thanksgiving. I didn't mention that in the last episode, but yeah, pecan pie. I did not have any ice cream though. Should have. I'm had a some big ice. fan of lemon meringue pie 
and pumpkin pie. Those would be my two favorites for Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving, I like different pies at different times, but for Thanksgiving, I want those two. So, for our listeners out there, you've probably noticed one of us is missing. That would be Corbin, Mr. Uh, TCU. TSU. TSU. Yeah, there was a lot of debate last night over our text. uh, I was giving him a hard time. I saw video footage of him hanging from the goalpost. <laughs> Frosty he too, was, or just he was Corbin? Trying to get it down, both of it, they were on each other's shoulders, and they were trying to get it ripped down. But they were the only two there, so it didn't happen. Yeah, probably got locked up. <laughs> he he didn't show up today. Yeah, I think he is. I think he is, and I've got bad news for him. I think K State might might pull the upset, so we'll see. But. Yeah, we didn't get a lot of response from our uh, college football episode, but <laughs> it was a hundred percent negative. The one response we got was negative. Vince and I both got it, so we'll try to stay out of college football and limit limit that time slot here. Yeah, we're probably going to avoid that. So Sean and I engaged in our annual post Thanksgiving ritual. So we've been out delivering bulls. Man, I I've been all over. Uh, ran down to Oregon and delivered some cattle, and ran into some listeners. That's always fun when you deliver to listeners. JC and Whitney Cabral and their neighbor and friend, Kyle Fields. So it was great to see those folks. And uh, yeah, they treat me like a celebrity, which is ridiculous. You are. I'm always embarrassed when people say they listen to Angus Underground. Oh, I am too. When they It's like my wife said, you seen the movie The Santa Claus? (laughs) <laughs> where the guy starts, he starts growing the beard, you know, and he yeah. starts getting overweight. And then all the kids at like the basketball game are all lined up. My wife's like, we went to shops. That's what it was like. And everybody wants to know, instead of what you get them for Christmas, it's what do I make my donor cow to? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's great. Thank you. No, guys. It's it's, fun. But it is, it is kind of, I don't think of myself as a celebrity. I know that not even close. No, it's fun. But, you know, I so enjoy, I hate the thought of actually doing it. You know, getting in a truck and loading a trailer and driving 12 hours. But I enjoy meeting the folks and uh, just spending time with them. Some of the best people in this world. And seeing different country. Man, oh, man. it's so fun. It's so fun to see different country. I delivered bulls this week. You delivered a bull for me. I did, yeah. <laughs> a deliberate bull. He was very deliberate. It's the best time of year because you don't have the pressure of the sale. You can just visit with people and and that's all that they want. I mean, I've, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me, what's the one customer service thing you do? Is it social media? Is it paper print media? Is it? No, you know what it is? It's getting on their ranches and delivering the cattle, spending yeah. the time with them, man. It's so, I love it. I absolutely love it. No, it's a fun experience. Vince, what have you been up to this week? A little bit of oh, building fans. That's a sore subject, isn't it? Why? <laughs> well, because I cut my hand. <laughs> You've had a few, a few <laughs> losses there on the ranch this week, unfortunately. But that but, happens. What is it that you say, David, about livestock? All livestock will eventually become dead stock. That's right. So <laughs> we just moved on from that. We didn't. We don't dwell on it. We just move on. And it's never easy, though, is it? No. You do everything in your power to keep them alive and, and give them the best existence possible. And what do they do to repay you? They Freaking die. die. That's right. <laughs> and they invent new ways to do it too. Amen. Yeah. And when I think I've seen it all, nope, <laughs> sure haven't. Yeah. I, I had a sick cow this morning. I don't know what she's got. I mean, it's strange. Four-year-old cow. And yesterday she's great. And today she, yeah, she looks like she wants to dig a hole and fall in it. Have you caught what mine had through the phone when we were texting? It could have been. It could have been, but... Cow COVID. Yeah, we do the best we can, you know. Get her in, throw the kitchen sink at her, and hope something works. But So, guys, we've got a cool episode coming up. This is going to be a lot of fun. Perhaps we'll let Joe tease it. Yeah, no, I think it it was a great opportunity. I even said it at the close that... 
AAA staff and then also the board members and executive committee members have reached out to us and realized the following that we have and the reach that we have with listenership. And they value the time they spend on the podcast, being able to connect with the membership. And so I know that one of the hot button, there was a big summary and there was some stuff maybe that, that folks thought of the November board minutes would have touched a little bit of a nerve one way or another. But the one that we've got the most hits on has been the special committee that has been appointed by President Chuck Grove to look into white and registration of Angus cattle. And so this is a good opportunity. Chuck graciously agreed. He gave us some time slot and actually was getting ready to join with family and put in a prime rib and stuff. And, and right sliding between that, he wanted to be on the podcast and share his perspective. I would like everyone to understand who listens to this that in our position, we're just trying to relay some of the questions that we've had from the listenership. But at the same time, be fair and balanced to steal that slogan and give opportunity for interface with the board members. You'll hear our president, Chuck Grove, appeal to the membership and say, get a hold of me, call me, call other board members. You guys can look in the minutes at the very bottom. It shows the appointees of this special committee. Give them a call and let them know what you think. And I think that it's important for the membership to be engaged. And then also he reiterated many of the things that lots of the board members have reiterated to David and Corbin and Benson and I from time to time. It's connect to your board members, connect to your people. And so we hope you guys enjoy this dialogue with our new president. And we hope to have him back on to talk a little bit more in depth of other things. But top of the mind hot button today was uh, the white special committee. And we wanted to unpack that a little for you all. Yeah, well said. And uh, stay tuned. After Chuck, we've got a really neat guy coming on, Greg Dotson from Kentucky. In the spirit of the Christmas season and, and giving, we wanted to share Greg's story with you and, and something that he does every year that truly impacts the community and those around him. Yeah, I want you to stay tuned for that. That's a neat, neat segment. It really is. Yeah. I think it's really cool, David and Vince, you know, we all think of these big things that were part of membership organizations of all the big, wonderful things we can do. This is one guy keeping it so doggone simple. So simple. 12,000 yep. tickets. He and his wife and some other ladies hand wrote people's names, right? Yeah. On the back of 12,500 tickets. I mean, just think about that. He keeps it simple, had a huge impact on his community. I mean, I think it's a message for all of us when we want to do big things and we just need to think what it is we want to accomplish and who we want to help and just go do it. Roll up your sleeves. It's inspiring. Absolutely. And before we get on to those segments, so we want everybody to reach out to us again. We're, we're always planning ahead and uh, we'd like to do another listener feedback episode sometime late winter, early spring. And uh, so if you have questions or comments or anything like that, reach out to us. We'll do our best to get them answered. Yeah, we want the fun ones and the not so fun ones and, and the very serious issues. We want to tackle those. And I think it's just a great exercise for everybody involved. Just get your mind spinning and, uh, you know, get outside of your comfort zone and ask some tough questions. Let's go to break. And when we come back, we'll have Chuck Grove. Are you looking to market your semen or embryos? Introducing GeneBrokers.com, the industry's first true breeder to breeder online marketplace. Whether you're cleaning out your tank or selling semen on your special herd sire, GeneBrokers.com provides a platform to showcase your genetics to breeders from around the globe. Our intuitive portal allows you to create listings, monitor inventory levels, and customize your storefront. With GeneBrokers.com, there are no listing fees and a modest 10% transaction fee due at the time of sale. For those looking to purchase genetics online, GeneBrokers.com offers dynamic sorting functions to help you narrow your search to find exactly what you're looking for. Each transaction is fast, easy, and secure. All sales are backed by GeneBrokers' quality guarantee policy for smooth, hassle-free transactions. To make your next purchase or to begin marketing your genetics, visit GeneBrokers.com, where you'll find genetics at the speed of commerce. We're pleased to have Chuck Grove, the new president and chairman of the American Angus Association Board of Directors, join us today. Chuck is from Forest, Virginia, and had a 39-year tenure as uh, American Angus Association regional manager. On his first uh, term on the board, Chuck served on the Finance and Planning, Breed Improvement, and Industry Relations Committees, as well as chairing the Events and Education Committee and held the vice chair of the Member and Affiliate Services Committee. Welcome to the Underground, Chuck. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. Look forward to it. 
Well, it's it's a special treat for us, and I certainly uh, appreciate you joining us. So our history actually goes back a pretty good ways. <laughs> we were joking before we uh, started recording here that uh, Chuck was actually a regional manager when I was a junior in the Junior Angus Association, and uh, I was pretty quick to point out that I don't know what that makes Chuck because I'm an old man now. <laughs> Yeah, I keep telling people I was 12 years old when I started. People don't remember that. <laughs> Youngest regional manager ever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I, I've known Chuck a long time. And, and of course, Vince Santini, who's uh, one of our co-hosts here, he's known Chuck as well a long time. But in respect of your time, Chuck, I just want to dive right into this. We're going to limit the scope of our interview today. And hopefully some point in the future, we can circle back with you. But I want to kick this off by asking you, what this election as the president and chairman means to you? Well, I'm really excited about it, David. I'm looking forward to serving and trying to do the best I can to my ability. I think people, the membership needs to understand also there are 14 people in that room that are now board of directors with two years of experience or less. And you can look at that as a negative. I have a tendency to look at that as a positive. We're going to have especially coming in this year, five new board members. We're going to have fresh new ideas, maybe new approaches to the way we do business or new ways to look at problems that we might have. I'm really excited about the upcoming year. We're very fortunate we have such great leadership in both Wooster and in St. Joe. And I think we're going to have a great year. Obviously, cattle prices, everybody's predicting things are going to be really good next year. Probably my biggest concern is, yeah, we're going to have a lot of money go through our fingers because of feed, fuel, and fertilizer costs that cattle need to be higher. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to a big year. That's great. It seems, Chuck, that the issues facing our breed today are more complicated, broader, and more diverse than ever before. What are just a few of the issues that you deem as most important that you want to tackle during your tenure as president? One of the first ones, I'm not going to say it's an issue within the breed, but I want to see Angus Link grow. When Angus Link was purchased, and, and I know there are naysayers that say we should or should not have purchased, but it really, that doesn't matter. We have the program. And in my opinion, the purpose of that program was similar to when CAB started. It's gone through its growing pains, but we've got to get uptake from the membership. And when I say that, one, one area that I think would be critically important for those members that are, say, having their own bull sales or registering 75 to 100 bulls, obviously most of those bulls are going to commercial cattlemen. And I think we've got a program with our genetic merit scores in Angus Link that can each individual breeder can help their individual customers market their calves. And to me, that would be one of the greatest things we can do. I think it will drive demand for registered Angus bulls. And I'm very confident in the program. But to be very candid and honest, I don't think we've had membership uptake. You can blame that on the board. You can blame that. I don't know what you blame that on. But I really want us to concentrate on trying to get Angus Link past its growing pains and, and moving forward. You know, another thing that does affect the membership very directly is in AGI, we're continuing to try to tweak dollar M. I would welcome any suggestions there, but that, you know, we're working on a longevity EPD. Again, I, I think that's very important, primarily for our commercial cattlemen. But obviously, when they buy a bull or when they keep replacement females, they don't want to be rolling generations like many of us in the registered Angus breed are doing today. They want a cow to be there 10, 12 years. So I think that's a very, very important thing. We're going to continue to work in breed improvement. You know, a couple of years ago, we invited some members in to cuss, discuss, and visit with us about where our breed improvement programs are and to give us ideas and critique. And I'm hopeful we'll do that again, probably with a different group of, of members. And again, just trying to involve as many people and get as many ideas put together so we can make the right decisions. I forgot one other thing that I'm very concerned about, and that started the first meeting I was ever at. 
And I have absolutely nothing against. I'm a very strong proponent of foot scoring. But I, I think we need to get mines not only from the United States, but worldwide. But there's got to be some other solution to go along with foot scoring. And, and I don't know whether it's incorporating DNA technology. David, I used to think I could look at one and tell whether its feet were good or not. And I'll be perfectly honest. I think I know less about it today than I ever did. You know, you look at cattle and you think, boy, their feet are fine. Six months down the road, they got a bad foot or two bad hind feet. And you look at some and say, boy, I don't know. That's that's close. And they're fine. Yeah. So I really, I, I don't have the solution by any stretch of the imagination. But that's a major problem with Angus cattle, and I certainly recognize that. And we could go on for hours on that topic, Chuck. And I've been super critical of the EPDs since day one. Even even before they came out, just the thought of having those EPDs, it just put a, a seed of doubt in my mind. And I, I always tell the breeders, hey, this is a breeder problem, not a breed problem. Clean up your mess. It's on you guys. Clean it up. You know, when I had bulls getting sent back to me 10 years ago because their feet weren't holding up, I didn't look to anyone else to solve the problem. I looked in the mirror and said, I better fix this or the marketplace will fix it for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's that's my uh, little opinion of the day here. From the uh, board of directors meeting summary that that is posted on the Angus website from the most recent meeting in November. It was noted that you appointed a special committee to evaluate registration restrictions regarding hide color and excessive white. And I know that's been, everybody picked up on that that one sentence in the uh, summary. And there's been a lot of chatter, at least in the circles that we run in, wanting to know more. Can you shed a little more light on what that committee's role is? I guess. What are we looking at? Sure. Be happy to, David. Uh, the first thing I would say, I guess I would ask all three of you, wh what do you think the purpose of the rule, white can't be in front of the neighbor? What, what is the purpose of that rule? Why was that rule put into effect? It's my understanding, and don't quote me that uh, my dates are exact, but in the 30s or the 40s, that rule was passed. And David, not even you and I were around then to, <laughs> we can't tell why it was done, but I would ask you, why do you think we have that rule? Well, if, if you're asking me directly, obviously it was, it was intended to create some confidence and breed purity. Okay. I guess I would step in and say that it's probably like any other herd book or registry, you have to have a breed standard and a breed standard for type is important. Otherwise you don't have a breed. And so I don't know why the line was chose at the navel, behind the navel, in front of it. it. It really doesn't matter to this point. But I don't know that when looking back on those pedigrees, if maybe we had a great handle on coat cutter color from a scientific perspective. I'd like to dive into that a little bit with you as we progress in this visit. But obviously to try to maintain a standard of what to expect in terms of coat color out of Angus cattle. Sure. I would agree with both of them. So then I, I would ask you this question as well, then. So if you call the American Angus Association, we can give you data. We just talked about claw and angle. We can talk about carcass merit, cavities, growth. We, we can describe one inside and out as far as their genetic merit. What if you want to know if one star is a lot of white? You got any data on that do you know anybody in american angus association that does and conversely i would ask you do you know one that'll blacken one up do you know a bull can you show me data on one that will absolutely quote take the white off of one show me that data where, where is that data and i know where you're going here chuck but I, I i think a lot of us have anecdotal evidence you know it's not proven over a huge population but i know yeah, we run in a pretty small circle here, the host of Angus Underground. And and sure, we share information back and forth amongst ourselves. And, you know, so, I yeah, it's out there. It's out there. You know, I, I yeah, at times I wish there was a little more transparency. You know, I, I, I wish we could come on the air here and say, don't use bull A because he will give them white from uh, the tip of their tail to uh, between their front legs. 
but uh, we we all know that there's some legal ramifications for us to to go on the air and say that. Sure, sure. Well, again, a couple of things I want to point out before I, I give you some my thoughts. First, this is not make or break for me as quote president of the American Angus Association. I'm not driven that this rule absolutely has to be changed or anything like that. It has been brought to me by several different members to have it looked into, and that's what I'm planning on doing. That was the purpose of the committee. And again, to use that word transparent, we want to be perfectly transparent. We're, there is a committee going to look into that. And the second thing is this is not an emotional issue. It seems when you get to talking about change, you know, you want to change or in particular something like this, boy, you can get people breathing fire and foaming at the mouth. And it's this is not an emotional issue to me by any stretch of the imagination. This is purely a business issue. So those things being said, I have a problem that, as you just said, David, you know, you you have a group of people you can talk to or you, you correspond with on Calvert. Among other traits, obviously, white's not a primary factor, I would, I would assume, but you, you correspond with other people, and, and so there is a good boy, good old boys network where we know this bull does or doesn't. But if you're a new member or if you're not part of that, how do you know? So to me, first thing is we need to be keeping data on that. We have the most data on uh, the Angus breed in the world, and to me, that's a piece of data that we ought to know. The second thing is, if you go back and you look in St. Joe of old Jock standing there, he's white right down the center of his chest floor. So it's always been there. The other thing, and, and you mentioned this, David, and, and my guess is that that's probably why the rule was put into effect to help with breed purity. But the reality is today, over two-thirds of the, roughly two-thirds, David, don't quote me on the exact, Mark gave the, that information. The convention, but I think it was over 200,000 head of the cattle that were registered this past year had a parentage verification. So we know who their parents are. And to me, if we know they are by a registered Angus bull out of a registered Angus cow and they've got a spot of white under their left front leg the size of a 50 cent piece, and we say they're not eligible for registration, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I would like to see us in a perfect world, and again, this committee will be making recommendations, but I would like to see the pedigrees marked. I would like to know, and I, I guess I will start off by saying possibly mark the pedigrees with those excessive white, white in front of the name, or it, it could be white anywhere, but at least start a database. I would also like to know, as these cattle are registered, if, if we registered cattle with excessive white, and I use that term, however you want to use the term white. If we track that, then down the road as a bull got used across the population, you know, let's say a bull has sired a thousand calves and 300 of them have been marked with excessive white or 200. So now we know something about that. But at the same time, let's take another bull that's sired a thousand calves. And he doesn't have but 25 that have, quote, excessive white or white on. Well, now I've learned two things. I learned where the white is, and maybe I learned how to blacken them up. So I also want to point out I'm not for white, having white socks or a white star or a white switch. I just think if it's on the underline, not above the forearm, not on a limb, I don't see a problem with it. And the final thing I would say about it is if you don't want to register one with excessive white, if you don't want to buy one with excessive white, you don't have to. You can see. It. So to me, why are we doing business like we did in the 40s when we have the technology to move forward today and let, let the market determine the value of those cattle? And again, be able to tell the membership, give them some data so we know so, so they have a more accurate way of making the decision. So Chuck, you mentioned technology. Do we have scientific technology that has a good handle on coat color? 
because I think originally, I mean, as they get wider, there is the fear that it ends up on their head or their tail or their feet. Where do we draw the line? And I heard you make mention of the word excessive. I think we need to be mindful that if things are to change the underline, now excessive has a new definition, right? And so maybe open that up a little. Do we have a handle on our, uh, is there a spotter gene? Is there something else that excessive white is a marker for? Do we know this? Don't we know this? Because ultimately, I think the one that we need to provide stewardship to is the commercial customer using these genetics at the endpoint. I think a lot of us sure. here and a lot of us listening are, are in a worldview of where we just see black. But I got a new customer two years ago who had red, white face cows, and they're looking to turn their cow herd black. Just like you hear the interviews, we've turned the nation's cow herd black. And while I appreciate that, there's still a lot of Angus evangelization to take place. And if those customers are to use a black bull with what we now deem as excessive white, if those cattle come out as full feathers or chest white or whatever, the buyer may put a discount on those cattle as well. And the customers using those F1 Angus genetics maybe don't realize the premiums we've seen in the past for Angus cattle. What do you have to say to those folks in the commercial sector using our genetics? Well, a couple of things. One, to answer your first question, no, we, we're not like the Holsteins as far as having that spotter information. We, we don't know anything about the inheritance of white on Angus cattle. Zero, to the best of my knowledge. There is no documentation of any kind. And again, the other thing I would say to you, Joe, is I, I would be the first to concur with you. I mean, we've got beef on dairy. Correct. Lots of big hosting operations are using Angus sires. The last thing they want is one with any white on. Correct. I agree with that. But again, we have no documentation. They can buy one. Solid black doesn't have a white hair on him and he can turn out to throw a lot of white. So, again, that's one reason I want to document it and, and get some information gathered. Again, I think I already said this. I'm for on the underline, not above the flank, not above the forearm, no white socks, no white switch, no star. Now, I will tell you this, Joe, going back in the 70s, I saw calves that had four white socks, had a white star, had a white switch, and that's back in the 70s. And the thing I feel so good about with our breed today compared to then is our breed is more homozygous today than when George Grant brought the first one over here. When two-thirds of the cattle are being parentage verified, we continue to build that database. Honest mistakes are corrected. And in my opinion, any animal that's going to have any impact on the breed, they're going to be DNA tested, not only for parentage, but obviously their performance as well as any genetic conditions. So. Again, I think the main thing is let's gather some data and let's try to help people so they can make those right decisions when they're using a bull. And, and the final thing I would say to you, Joe, if you see one with a solid white chest floor and you're concerned about white, don't buy it. Let the market establish the value. Can we not collect the data without changing the rule? Vinny, are you willing to buy an AI certificate and registering to tell me he's got excessive white? See, we don't know today. Not why registered. do you have to register them just to know that, though? You can turn in feet score, here's a sire and here's a dam. I think in a perfect world, that makes a lot of sense, Benny. But the reality is we got Maternal Plus going. We are constantly trying to gather more data, and that would be one more piece of data. And again, if they're registered and if the pedigree was marked, I think we'd have a far better indicator. To Vince's point for a second, and I don't want to belabor this too much because we're at 11 o'clock and we want to be gracious of your time. But if we have pe more people sign on to Maternal Plus and all of a sudden, I don't know, 4203, I don't have one of those, so I'll mention her name, weans a calf, but he doesn't show up as registered. Why is that in your drop down, just like sick pre-weaning or uh, died post-yearling, any number of things, he has excessive white and then you have an option to market. Isn't that a way to collect that data? Sure, but again, you're throwing away genetic merit, but why, why are you doing that? I don't understand the reasoning behind that. I, I guess the other point that I would make to you, a couple different ones, and this is coming across like I'm a total sales pitch. I, I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm just trying to be open-minded 
and trying to be, I don't want to use the word progressive, but again, why are we eliminating something that has genetic merit on something as trivial as white under its left front leg or down the center of its chest floor? That, and when I say that to you, Joe, I guess I would say this to you. You know, we, we register transfer animals that carry five different genetic conditions, none of which are lethal. One is the red gene. We have no restriction on registration, transfer. You can do anything you want to with them. So to me, if it's logical that you can register and transfer cattle that carry different genetic conditions, but yet you can't register one with a little excessive white in, in the world we know today, that is not logical to me. That is not scientific to me. And the other thing I would tell you, in my opinion, again, and I've seen this over the years, and I'm sure you guys have too, but you go to a bull sale and you know you, you look at a bull and he's in the catalog, he's registered, and the breeder will have bought the semen, bought the AI certificate, did the DNA test, did the ultrasound, did the foot score, put him in the sale, did the genomic test, and then he announces, by the way, this bull is a commercial bull because he's got white under his chest. The reason he registered and did all that, he knew the bull had that, but that bull has genetic merit, and the reason he has to do all that is to get the EPDs on that animal so the commercial customer knows what he's buying. So. To me, that is very illogical on the final step of not making any sense to me at all. If you're a commercial cattleman and you buy that bull and you want to sell your calves as Angus Link sired calves, that bull has no genetic merit score because he's not a registered Angus bull. So I, I just don't understand why, again, we're doing business. Every other thing we do, we're very scientific, data-driven, trying to evaluate and give the best genetic merit on an animal and so why is a little excessive white considered such a detriment when it's okay to sell them with other genetic conditions and, and i want to be clear on this i'm not for eliminating and saying you can't register one that potentially carries the red gene or dd or any of the others by no means am i for that david and i got into this discussion a little bit the the other day, I don't have any insider information, and I hope and pray we never have another lethal genetic defect, but the odds are we will. But I will tell you, I'm not for extermination of that. You throw away too many good genetics, and through DNA and technology, if we find another lethal, hopefully long after I'm gone, we're going to have to learn to breed around it. We, we, we cannot just try to exterminate, because in my opinion, that does not work. So I think there's a good segue here. How does this differ from SCURS? You didn't mention that earlier when you talked about the defects in red. Yeah. How is that different than SCURS? We already monitor the African horn gene in Angus cattle. And so to me, SCURS could be an economic factor, much more so the color underneath. So I would not be for SCURS. And the red gene, uh, obviously those cattle don't qualify for certified Angus beef. So to me, that there, we're talking apples and oranges. Chuck, is there an indication that this is an economic issue for the membership currently? No, no, I'd be very candid with you. No. But again, I, I don't think we really know. And, and I still get back to the importance. If we're the keeper of all the data on Angus cattle, then why should we only have rumor as to an animal that sires or a bull that sires excessive white? That is just not logical to me that the largest breed, beef breed organization in the world, when a member wants to know anything about an Angus individual, we should be able to tell them. And again, I would like to determine the heritability. We can talk about this as long as you want, but I, <laughs> I want to be sure people understand I am not on a crusade to do this. That's why I appointed a committee. That's why we're trying to be transparent. This is not a fight to the death. Oh, my God, the membership needs to divide up and pick teams. It's nothing like that. Again, this is not an emotional issue. This is a business issue. And anybody that, let's say the rule were to pass, that doesn't mean David Brown 
Vinny Santini, if you got one with excessive white or you got one with legal white, if you don't want to register, you don't have to register. You don't have to change anything you're doing. And the market will determine value on these cattle that, quote, do have excessive white. So a quick question, maybe we should have started off with this one, Chuck. You mentioned a, a couple issues that you find as the biggest concerns of the American Angus Association. And these are the calls that I get. And again, we had this discussion before about having the podcast. All of a sudden, you have this exposure to the membership where people call and visit with you. And, and the question I had is, why this? Why is this number one? And the second is, if it's not a crusade, what is the formal charge of the committee? First, this isn't a number one priority. I, I thought I said that at the beginning, Joe. No, this isn't my number one priority as president by any stretch of the imagination. Again, this was member-driven. It was brought to me by members, and they would like it addressed. But just as any other issue, when a member brings it up, I think it's my responsibility. As a board member, I brought up issues that members brought to me, and so that's why I'm bringing it up. Now I've lost my train of thought. What was the end of your question, Joe? I'm sorry. The second question was, what is the formal charge of the committee? Is it to look into white or is it to change the rule or, or what is the formal charge of the committee? I guess to gather as much possible information, pro and con, if the rule was to be changed, to come up with a recommendation, but basically gather information and get information from members. But again, that I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. I'm sure any member of the board is or that committee. But And David and I talked about this the other day. Again, this is not, you don't have to call me breathing fire. You don't have to be just flipping out, you know. If you disagree, that's fine. I, I don't have any problem with that at all. But to me, it, it's just a business issue. And again, the market will determine if the rule were changed. The market will determine value on those cattle. At the same time, we'll start to have some data so members will know which ones sire a lot of white, but more importantly to me, which ones maybe can really blacken one up, for lack of another term. Sure. Well, Chuck, I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you have questions, concerns, just even if they want to get to know you, pick up the phone, shoot you sure. an email, and do that with all of our board members. Obviously, this... As you say, this should not be an emotional issue. This should not be the issue or the one item that defines your presidency, obviously. And I don't think in your mind you've got it, uh, you know, very high on the priority list, but but certainly it's it's something that uh, you, you think deserves taking a look at. But if, if folks have sure. information, ideas, concerns, man, pick up the phone, call your board member, call Chuck. Yeah, I, I think you'll be very pleased with the response that you get back. They want to hear from you. Absolutely. And David, you know, obviously I'm on the farm like or the ranch like anybody else is. So if I don't take your call right then, I, I do return my calls and uh, I'm happy to visit with anybody. Not on just this issue. Any Again, we need any solution, I welcome criticism, I, and I welcome being challenged as a board member. You have every right to challenge every decision that's ever made, but when you do that, or if you're going to be critical, come up with a solution. Don't just tell me, well, you did something wrong. Tell me what, how to fix it or how to make it better. So yeah, yeah. I, I want to conclude, not conclude, because we can talk as long as you want, David. I, only thing I have to do is get this prime rib going here in a little while. But for uh, Thanksgiving, I'm just glad it's not chicken, Chuck. That's what I'm glad about. <laughs> no, no chicken, no chicken, no chicken. Now we're gonna smoke on the trigger a uh, prime rib. So, oh, fantastic! Uh, anyway, the the one challenge I put to people is, give me a scientific, data-driven reason why cattle was white in front of their navel. Why is that bad? Give me a scientific data-driven reason. I haven't heard one yet, but, and, and again, I, I realize if you're doing beef on dairy, Angus on dairy cattle, yeah, that's very, very, very important. I think this helps. I, I, I think it helps define, and we get some heritability, and again, we find those that maybe don't sire anyway, so. Certainly. Any other questions you guys got? I want to echo David's comments and just say thank you. I mean, 
the whole host of questions I have here aren't just my own. I mean, there are things that I've heard from listeners and I'm trying to relay those and, and you handled them with an abundance of grace. And we're just thankful for the opportunity to visit with you, the access that American Angus has provided to us through either staff, board members, and then members of the executive committee as well. Thank you, Mr. Grove, and, and congratulations on your presidency. And and we hope to be able to continue to contact you about some of these bigger issues that we're going to have to discuss in the future. Because like we've said, I mean, to navigate this beef business and profitability in the future, it's going to take an Angus cow. And we know that the solutions, they lie in our membership. And with the diversity of the Angus membership, the solutions are there. We just need to tap all the people and make sure that they're represented. And, and you show an appetite for that. So thank you very much for that. And we look forward to working with you in the future. Congratulations. Don't call me Mr. Gr- <laughs> Do not call me Mr. Grove. Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can say a lot of things right now, but uh, Chuck, <laughs> thank you for uh, donating your time to us today and sharing some insight. You bet. Again, congratulations on your new role. And uh, we'll look forward to having you back here on the Angus Underground. You bet. Anytime. I appreciate you taking the time. Welcome back to the Angus Underground. You know, guys, on uh, it was what a couple of episodes ago, we we were talking about what would we do if we won the lottery. I really dig these. Uh, I call them random acts of kindness or generosity, and you know, it's we're coming right up on Christmas, and so it's the time that we can kind of reflect on all the blessings in our life. I hope that all of us out here in underground land look around and we want to find these opportunities to spread kindness and generosity. And here a couple of years ago, an old Angus friend of mine started a a really neat project where he wanted to make a difference in people's lives. And uh, he's been very, very successful. And I I can't wait to have him on here and, and share some of that story with you. Without further ado, let's just bring him on in. I want to introduce Greg Dotson from the great state of Kentucky. Greg's, like I said, he's an old Angus friend of mine. Greg, welcome to the underground. Hey, thank you very much, David. Thank you. No, it's it's really cool what you've been up to, and and we'll get to that. But uh, for those that don't know you, let's let's get a little background info going on you. Tell us what's what you're doing, what you've been up to in the cattle world. Yeah, just jump right in. Born and raised right here in central Kentucky. My dad grew up showing Angus cattle. My mother was a shorthorn breeder, so from Oklahoma. So grew up myself showing Angus cattle with my dad and my brothers and everything in our family. We traveled across the country. Graduated from college from University of Kentucky with a degree in animal science. Then went to work running some farms, you know, managing some Angus farms around Kentucky. That's how I got to know David. And so we met whenever I was working at Doubletree Angus years ago, and he was at Riverbend. Absolutely. I remember that. That's been many moons ago. <laughs> a few. <laughs> a few. <laughs> so from there, left uh, Doubletree and went down to move to Western Kentucky, managed a farm down there for a while. Then I got an opportunity to move to North Carolina to Springfield, Angus. That didn't last very long. Something happened and the wife wasn't able to move there. So I moved back home and we started raising our own cattle. Bought a set of Angus cows. They weren't registered. They were just a really good set of commercial Angus cows, about 50 cows. And we moved back here in 2015, moved back home, started working at the local feed store, started mating those cows, do all AI. Everything here is 100%. I did have cleanup bulls, but since then we have switched. Everything's 100% AI or ET. Started out breeding those cows to Herbert bulls, getting those good black body F1 crosses. And then went back on top of those cows with Semitols. So I've got that three-way cross, and now I'm going back with everything's going to be half-blood Simmentals, all the bulls that I use this fall. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to get get away from the Angus still just a little bit too much for me. Started a freezer beef program, try to raise, you know, raise some more money because that's what we all want to do is make more money in our lives. And right. it really took off, really exploded <laughs> a couple of years ago, a few years ago. So that's kind of where we are now. I'm working at the feed store running these cows. We do a little bit of showing on the side as a hobby. Showing some heifers and some sheep. We started showing sheep again last year. I hadn't done that in several, several years. Well, you're selling it short, Greg, when you call it a hobby. <laughs> because anybody that follows you on Facebook, they see these heifers. These heifers that uh, you just competed there at North American in Louisville. And, uh, boy, those heifers were deadly good, man. 
Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you. We were, they were both homegrown heifers right here. So it makes it a little more, little more proud, you know, to be able to take something that you raised straight off the farm, two little spring heifer calves that we took. And we, we competed. We were, you know, we didn't win classes. We didn't go down there expecting to win, but we wanted to look as good as we possibly could getting our asses whooped. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to tell you what. They, they looked amazing from what we saw on well, Facebook. Yes. Yeah, my dad always taught me growing up with everything you do. If you're not going to do it right, don't do it. And so Amen. we try to do it the right way around here. Right, try to do everything the right way around here. You bet. Well, Greg, a, a couple of years ago, you, you started, uh, I don't even know what to call it, but a raffle. We call it a Christmas charity raffle. Yeah. Back in 2020, of course, it was the height of the pandemic. It was, I don't know, somewhere around the first or second week of December, my wife and I were sitting in the kitchen eating dinner and watching the news. Of course, you remember the news back then. It was horrible to watch unless you just wanted to see the weather. And so we were sitting there and it was like, how can we, what can we do to help? We don't have the the money, you know, the finances to be able to donate five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000 to people to be able to help them out. So I thought of just an explosion that night, just a brainstorm and started the next day, a raffle and the winner of the raffle, they were $5 tickets would win a quarter of a beef. And then they would also get to dictate charity of their choice for all of the money raised over that week. That first year was just one week because it was a spur of the moment, just a brainstorm idea. And uh, they got to pick the charity of their choice for all of the money to go to. So the first year, at the end of the raffle, I had $7,600. Honest donor called me and said, where are you at? And I said, $7,600. He said, I'm donating $2,400. We're going to make it an even ten grand." Wow. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We uh, drew the name out, and it was uh, the first year of the winner was David and Kelly Brown. They're Angus breeders from Stamping Ground, Kentucky. Yep. And I don't know if you all know David and, David and Kelly or not. but Yeah, we do. Yeah, good, good folks. Yes, they are really, really good people. I remember I called them and they were in a, I think she's from Kansas or maybe they both, but they were in Kansas, I believe, going to visit family because it was right before Christmas. And uh, and she started crying. I was crying. This is the time I start to cry a lot and I really don't like it. But (laughs) but anyway, uh, they they called me back, you know, a day or so later and they said, you know, we want to donate the money after they did some research. They wanted to keep it local here in the local community of Versailles, Kentucky. And they donated to Cowboy Up for a Cure, which was started by a really close friend of ours. We grew up together, Rebecca Chirac. Her son was diagnosed with cancer at four years old, I think, four or five mm. years old. And uh, he has survived. I mean, he's been, he's a big stout teenage boy now, runs around, you know, does what teenage That's boys awesome. do. So that first year, raised 10000 That all that money went to the Cowboy Up for a Cure, which was great because at the height of the pandemic, if you remember, nobody could do anything. And their main fundraiser every year, every summer or late spring or early summer is a huge rodeo that they have. So she didn't get to have that fundraiser that year. So that $10,000 really helped out the Cowboy Up for a Cure that, mm. that Christmas. So it was great. And then, of course, we did it last year, did it again for the second year in a row, 2021. And everything was going great. Decided to do it two weeks this time because I had more time to plan on it. And so did it for two weeks last year. And, of course, then the Started on a Saturday. The next Saturday morning, the next weekend, woke up and you saw the devastation of all the tornadoes that had hit Western Kentucky. Right. And uh, I knew then that whatever money I'd raised was going to raise was going to go to help tornado victims. Right. So then it just exploded. And with the help of Venmo, we started taking donations via Venmo, not only. If they just come to the store where I work at and buy tickets or contact me and I would meet some people would meet me you know, all weekend after hours and I'd give them give them some tickets there, give me their money. Or a lot of people would just leave it in my mailbox because they knew where I lived at. So they would just drop money in my <laughs> mailbox with a note saying who it was from. I did have that happen. About five or six people did that. And uh, so last year we raised seventy thousand six hundred dollars. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. A lady named Karen Venus won the raffle. He was from Versailles. Then again, money last year came across from across the country. I mean, it was from Montana, from Florida, from Tennessee, from Indiana. I mean, it, it came from across the country. Illinois, went, with the help of Venmo, it really exploded. Last year, I was on a horse racing 
the feeds where I work at, of course, we live in central Kentucky, so it's huge thoroughbred country. So I was on a horse racing radio show last year, and it really helped it as well. But a friend of mine donated a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle to be added to the prize. And uh, when that bottle of Pappy got added, it really it changes a lot because it, when it got onto a bourbon collecting you know website it just exploded i mean they were coming venmos were coming in five ten fifteen twenty dollars like crazy i mean my phone I, last year on an interview for the news for the local news i showed them my phone and the the, the emails because every time you get a venmo you get an email and i showed them my emails and it was just page after page after page after page of venmo <laughs> that's awesome that's that's awesome yeah but it was great and it really you know it really exploded and last year the money got donated I've called several different extension agents around the state of Kentucky, you know, by in counties that were affected by the tornadoes. And there was one guy named Joe Hardesty from Taylor County, Campbellsville. He really struck a nerve with me. And whenever I spoke with him, so I got with Karen, of course, the winner of the raffle always gets to pick, you know, the first year that was extremely, you know, strictly their choice. Last year, you know, I changed this and, Hey, I want to make sure it goes to the right place. So I got with Karen after I spoke with Joe, and told her what he was doing, what they were trying to do there in Taylor County in Campbellsville, and to help the local farmers that had been struck. There were 48 farms that had been hit by the tornado. I've never been through a tornado, but, you know, it's hard to keep livestock in whenever a tornado hits, you know, because they just there's no fences anymore. Right. So the $70,600 went to Taylor County Cattlemen's Association, and they divvied out that money between the 48 farms based on an assessment that they had done based on needs, you know, because everybody had different different levels of destruction that they had faced. So most of that money, as far as I'm, what I was told, 95% of it went towards fencing, you know, buying new wire, fence posts, gates, and whatnot to be able to put up, be able to keep their livestock in. So yeah. it was great, you know, and it's a feeling that every year at the time, it, it's a great feeling to get watching people, how giving they are this time of year. Oh man, that you've done it two years and you've moved the needle both yeah. years. Yes. Yeah. I hope I don't know if I can ever top last year. That's <laughs> that that's gonna be hard to beat. You know, I didn't I'm hoping I can, but I don't go into it the first year I didn't and last year I didn't. I didn't go into it with a with a goal in mind because no matter what is collected, it it's all great. No matter if you know if this year it's this year if it's three thousand dollars, that's great. That three thousand dollars is going to go somewhere to hit. You know, if it's forty thousand dollars, it's going. To, but I'm saying it doesn't matter. I don't go into it saying, "Hey, I've got to do this," because I don't. It, it's all. It's all for charity. It's all for you know, the love of humanity that we all have. So I mean, absolutely. Just, well, it's making a huge difference, and and that's what's important. So, Greg, it's uh, five dollars a ticket. Five dollars per ticket. No, no limit to how many tickets you can purchase. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we've got listeners all over the world on Angus Underground. How do they participate? How do they buy these tickets? If you're not local, the easiest way to do it is via Venmo. My Venmo account is Greg Dash Dotson Dash Nine. That's D R E G Dash D O T S O N Dash Nine. The number nine. Right. The number nine. And they can send that money via Venmo to me. And what I'll do is whenever they send it, just make sure that they send their name and contact info. I have to be able to get in touch with them in case their number, their name is drawn out of the pot. Because what my wife and I do, because I'm not technologically advanced enough to figure out how to print names and everything on the back of all these tickets. So if somebody purchases 20 tickets, $100 worth of tickets, then there are 20 tickets in the pot with their name and phone number handwritten on the back. And so... You all can do the math and seventy thousand six hundred dollars <laughs> last year. So there was one anonymous donor and he was an Angus breeder, been a been a lifelong Angus breeder. He's a younger young man, he's younger than I am. Donated five thousand dollars last year. And that was the only set of tickets that I did not put a name on because I knew if I pulled out a blank ticket, it was his. <laughs> Greg, do you put those in like a fifty five gallon drum? I mean, how how do you house in all these tickets to pull them? Well, <laughs> That is, one thing I do is, uh, and I, I post every day on Facebook. Every day, I, you know, because people love it. They like keeping up with it. But I don't know how many followers I have on Facebook, you know, I've, that started following me based on this. But one thing I do, I start out with a small bucket, a pail, 
And then I would just keep graduating to a larger and larger pail. And last year, I mean, it finally got to be a feed sack. And there was, we had a tumbler that the local, I forget who donated the tumbler from downtown. Anyway, a tumbler, you know, you can put the tickets into and then tumble them around and draw out a random ticket. Well, there were way too many tickets <laughs> to fit in the tumbler. So we do the drawing on Facebook Live. And so there were probably eight to 10 people that pulled up into the parking lot of the feed store there at Woodford Feed and uh, pulled up in there just to watch this drawing. So I had to randomly, one of the ladies pulled up, her name was Susan Roman. She donated to the cause as well. And I said, Susan, I need your help. And she walked up there and I said, pick a number between one and 10. She said, excuse me. I said, pick a number between one and 10. She picked the number seven. So I said, okay, draw out seven handfuls of tickets to put into the tumbler <laughs> because that was the only fair way I knew how to do it. So, because there were too many tickets to fit into yeah. the tumbler. That's incredible. The only thing I wish I had done because everything, you know, it, it all gets so emotional and you're caught up in it. I wish I had kept, those seven handfuls of tickets to see who was in the running. You know, I, I didn't, we just threw out, we just threw out the one name, Karen Venus last year. And then my friend of mine, one of my coworkers, he does the video on every year. My wife comes up and her and I stand there and we do the, do the big speech on Facebook live and do the drawing. And then we threw those tickets away. I wish I'd still had those tickets to go through, you know, a week or so later. So, and uh, we don't get in any rush trying to pick the charity. I tell the people, Hey, don't, the first year, I think they wanted to do it quicker because they wanted it to be done before Christmas. Yeah. And that was great. So last year, it was so big and so many people were devastated. I'm thinking it was January 10th or 12th, somewhere around there before we finally realized what we were going to do. Because the way that's the decision when it came down to it that really gets you stressed out is because you want to make sure. Yeah. I contacted people and they were like, well, give it to this organization, give it to this organization. And you check into it, you know, and those organizations, some of that goes towards paying people salaries. And that's not where this money is going to. It is going right. 100%. Every penny, whenever we pick it out, is going to go help somebody. It's not going to go to anybody's pockets. It's not going to go at anybody's, you know, salary at all. Yeah. It will all be to a Taylor County Cattle Association, you know, that I can trust. And I talk to those guys. You know, and you, you, when you start talking to people that, that need help, you, you know instantly whenever you talk to the right one and they hit your heart, that's what we do. So Absolutely. Well, that's – Greg, thank you for doing that. That's – it's just amazing. It's things like this that it renews that faith in humanity. It does. It does. A lot of people call me Scrooge around Christmas time, but the last two years <laughs> really <laughs> – so it's – I'm going to tell you what, you stay so busy uh, running this that uh, I can't imagine you've got time to do much else. I Like I said, we, I go to work, and most of the day, you know, it's it's people coming in wanting to buy tickets. I'm not going to lie. Just random, you know, it's, it's, it's all day long. And then all night long, people will contact me. I've already had several people over the last month contact me. When is it starting? When, when does the raffle start? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, it really brought our community together last year. I mean, it was, and I, I take people's pictures. I posted on the Facebook page, you know, thanking them. And of course, last year, a lot of people were getting ready to start running for elections and whatnot. So they all wanted their pictures taken. But <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, really. And the kids come in and they, you know, they, they come in with $5 because they want to donate, you know, and you take their picture and they just love it. I mean, and it just, it's a great community and it brought a lot of people together. And, and I was, and, from across the country too, but it you was it's great. So when does it start? The raffle this year is going to start on December 7th and run through the 21st. Okay. The Wednesday to a Wednesday. I'm hoping last year I was trying to do the drawing. I think I was trying to do the drawing on a Saturday. I ended it on a Friday. I was going to do the drawing on a Saturday, but it was such a great response that we had to postpone the drawing to Monday. So we can get all the tickets written. My wife and I, then the two young ladies that showed the heifers and the lambs for us and their mother came over and we, all we did a weekend was, was write tickets. I had to, didn't have to leave for a little while to go pull cedars on a group of cows while they kept writing tickets and I came back <laughs> and then kept helping them out. So but they can also contact me on Facebook, just Greg Dotson. People need to find me and send a message to me or something like that. If they are interested in, in helping out, you know, um, anymore, it's not about the prizes. The quarter of a beef, nobody's ever kept it. 
the last two winters. It's it's all been donated. The quarter of a beef the first year got donated to the Woodford County Food Pantry. Wow. And last year, that quarter of a beef was donated to the Taylor County Food Pantry. Nice. Of course, the food pantry, they don't want steaks and roast and everything. They're too hard to divvy up. So yeah. I take them, you know, 115, 120, 125, however much that quarter was once it's processed. You know, usually it's 125, 130 pounds. Yeah. Take it and it's all in ground beef. So. And that they can divvy that out really easy. So. Yeah, that's great. And so, yeah, folks can uh, contact you via Facebook, Greg Dodson, or if they're in your area, they can drop by Woodford Feed. Woodford Feed there in Brazil, Kentucky. We're at the the main intersection in town, so you can't miss it whenever you get there. That was the other thing last year. It was so great. A lot of because we did. I did grow up showing Angus cattle and gotten away from the angus breed you know the registered part of it the last you know seven or eight years but there were so many people that i grew up with and looked up to ed pickle yeah yeah he was my hero almost start crying man <laughs> well ed's a great one yes yeah it was a lot of people from my childhood growing up showing angus cattle came and and donated you know came to the store rode up there you know, them and their wife would come there, meet me, you know, come on an afternoon, surprisingly, they would, you know, go to Lexington to eat dinner, of course. But yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great thing. And I'm hoping this year it can go, go well as well. Well, I'm sure that it will. And I, I want to challenge all of our listeners, regardless of where you're at, you know, buy a ticket, buy a ticket, buy a roll of tickets, buy whatever you can justify or afford. Every $5 does. There, I get a lot of five dollar donations, and I don't turn away a five dollar donation over a hundred dollar donation because it all adds up. Absolutely, it really does. You and I can't help save the world, but together we can. We can try. Yeah, we can make sure make a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I challenge all of our listeners: donate what you can. And again, you can get a hold of Greg Dodson via Facebook, Woodford Feed. Drop in there. If you have a hard time finding Greg on Facebook, you can reach out to me or Vince or Joe, and uh, we'll, we'll get you in touch with him. But uh, Greg, I, I really want to thank you. Thank you, number one, for uh, taking time to to be with us, and we're going to do everything we can to help you move the needle. Uh, thank you. And most of all, thank you for helping people. It's great. That's right. All I'm doing is trying to bring the right people together. That's all I do. I'm just... Uh... <laughs> I don't like to take all the credit for this because I don't get all the credit. I'm just putting the right people together, guys like you and myself. Enough of us get together, we can make a difference. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Well, Greg, thank you again. And we're going to look forward to having you uh, back on the Angus Underground sometime in the new year. And uh, we'll get a recap on how things went. Yes, sir. Maybe we'll even talk some Angus cattle. Hey, let's do it. All right. Let's do it. All right. Thanks again. This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch, the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.